Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Get a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis And thank you Blog Talk for coming back on schedule here And Former FBI agent Michael Tabman is here. We're going to take on what's happening in the news. These are issues that have been bothering a lot of people and worrying of gun and school violence. So good morning, Michael, and thank you so much for doing this. Good morning, Fran. Good to be back with you. This, this has really been something horrible. Um, I'm trying to figure out why the gun control laws and firearms regulations are not great and why it is that anybody would need an assault rifle. And there was a thing on the Internet the other day that I agree with. If teachers and other people need background checks, why don't they do background checks for that too? Well, that's always been the question of why we have such lax gun laws or ineffective gun laws. You know, Fran, what what kills me is, um, you know, uh, my final years in the FBI, special agent in charge, I was there for the Red Lake High School massacre. Uh, Ten people Mm. dead, and very similar to the Uvalde shooting in certain ways in terms of perpetrators. And here I am more than 15 years later, and that's just another sad story. People have forgotten it, and we're still talking about it, and we're still talking about the same issues that have not been resolved all these years later. The beat goes on, uh, kids are getting killed in school, and and we're having the same debates and the same Mm -hmm. conversations. So we don't have effective legislation because... We don't have an effective Congress. That's the bottom line. They're, they're the ones who make the laws. And we certainly have at least one half of that group um, unwilling to take on the gun lobby or, or the more, you know, stream mm-hmm. uh, faction of the right. And I say stream because, you know, uh, a lot of people I know who lean to the right, friends of mine, uh, you know, want to see some sort of controls. They don't want their guns taken away. And, and I honestly... Look, I lean left, and I, I'm never supposing we just take away all guns. It's, it's not one is it, you know constitutional and Supreme Court issues have already said you just can't take away everyone's gun. And, and two, it's a ridiculous concept. There's no practical way that could ever get done. So you know they throw up all these red herrings like, oh well, we're taking away guns. Mm-hmm. No one's taking away your guns. What we're discussing is putting reasonable restrictions on certain type of weapons, which the Supreme Court and the, and the uh, recent decision, the Heller case, I think it was, uh, Anthony Scalia, said that the government has the right to do so. It has the right to regulate uh, certain uh, dangerous and unusual weapons might have been the term, something similar to that. So we do a lack, lack of ability to get a consensus in Congress um, to do it. I mean, that's really what it takes. is the stroke of a pen. They make the laws. And, of course, they have to withstand any challenges on its constitutionality. And And now, you know, we have a Supreme Court that Really, ever since Bush v. Gore, uh, yeah. you know, the confidence in the Supreme Court as a non-political, apolitical body is certainly diminished more so now. And 
And, you know, I, I can tell you I'm distressed as a, someone who's, you know, been in law enforcement my whole life that we have a Supreme Court that no one feels comfortable is going to make decisions, you know, based on the law, just it's based on you know, the politics. And, uh, you know, where do you go from there when you don't have faith in the Supreme Court anymore? Uh, so I don't know where it's going to lead. We don't have legislation. And, and Fred, I think five, ten years from now, we're going to be having the same conversation. You know what really bothers me is that I, the governor of the state, <clears throat> never mind, um, came out with something just brilliant two weeks ago. I'm going to sign a law that says that 21-year-olds can have assault rifles. Why would they need one? And why would you put an age on it? The other one was the governor of, I think it was Ohio, said that they're going to make it necessary for teachers to be armed in school. For 36 years, the thought never crossed my mind. I would never, ever, ever, ever want to go and be armed in school. What happens if you hurt a kid? You hit somebody. You hurt somebody. I, I mean, that that's what scares scares me. And this thing in, in Texas, how do you sell 300 rounds of ammunition to somebody not wondering what they're going to do with it? I mean, there's, there's yeah, no way. Right, a number of issues there in what you said. Uh, you know, first is when I think about law enforcement, you know, and, and the big thing about law enforcement mm. is the power you have and the fact that you carry a weapon and you're authorized mm. to use it in, in the right circumstances. You know. And, you know, we have people who come into law enforcement, and I imagine the military, I'm going to guess because I haven't served in the military, they come in and they just don't cut it. And, and that's not necessarily, uh, you know, a bad thing. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means they don't have the personality to take that kind of power and use it and make those kind of life and death decisions. It's just not them. Mm. Well, and that's okay. Not everyone should be like that. And I would say that teachers somehow fall into that. And I'm not saying a teacher could not be a good law enforcement officer. I'm just drawing delineation mm. between personality yeah. types. Uh, as you know, my wife is a special ed teacher for her career. Yeah. Uh, and I know you were. And your personalities are such, you're, you're caregivers. You, you love your children. You want to protect them. Taking a human mm -hmm. life is not something you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And in law enforcement, we, while we don't deal with it, most of us, like myself, have never shot anybody. But daily, you, you always have that in the back of your mind, especially if you're a police officer. Right? When I was an agent working narcotics and you're going into a lot of dangerous situations, you always have that in the back of your mind. And we've all been, all law enforcement has been in a situation where you have your hand, you know, on the gun, ready to go, but you're nervous because it's not clear what's happening. And you don't want to make the wrong decision. I mean, you don't want to get killed, and at the same time, you don't want to make the wrong decision and shoot somebody in error. And mm. this is not something, and it's something you need to deal with on a fairly regular basis to be adept at that. And when you're a school teacher and, and your instinct is to protect kids and to teach them and to love them and embrace them, you're not there to make those decisions. And so I am completely, you know, against uh, that concept. Though, though, if you want to, you know, putting armed, trained armed people in the school, I'm not against, you know, the right people with the right credentials and who could be easily identified and the police know who they are. I'm not against that. Uh, you know, if you want to designate a teacher who's former military and law enforcement and, and keeps up on his skills, um, you know, and has a, not just the training on the range, which doesn't get you there, uh, you know, the other training, uh, and we know who they is, you know, limited basis, uh, fine. But, of course, that teacher in, in the course of a school shooting has to protect his students as well. I can't leave his students unprotected, go out there and face a gun. So and there's so many issues there. And, you know, I have friends, they go, oh, I got my concealed carry weapon, and they kind of, you know, mm. spread their feathers, you know, and pump their chest out like it means something. You know, 
I, I'm not anti-gun. I just saw one of my Facebook memories come up is when I took my boys shooting. All right? And, and I remember that day. They, you know, we're not big gun buffs uh, in our house. You know, we like to do it. We don't, you know, we're not crazy. You know, it's not one of the big things, but we do it. I'm not anti-gun. And I remember looking at their scores, and they were okay. They did pretty good for kids who, you know, never shot. But then I went down the line looking at other people, and people bring their own weapons, you know, you, you know mm-hmm. the gun enthusiasts. And their, their shooting wasn't a whole lot better. Right? And we're talking about a, t- a target maybe 10 yards away that's not shooting back at you, that's not moving in optimal conditions, mm-hmm. and you're still you know, going to miss the bullseye. You say, well, that's still a pretty good shot. Well, maybe for competition shooting, but missing the target by just a little bit, as you pointed out, it could be fatal to someone else. Uh, you know, you, you'll want to take a kid out and, ha- and have to deal with uh, those consequences, not even just legally, but just on your own conscience for the rest of your life. So the Army teachers, it, it, you know, for the extreme right, or those who are just, yeah, yeah, you know, good guys, you know, more good guys with a weapon, it, mm-hmm. it's a bogus claim. There's no evidence to support that. Uh, the reality is uh, the presence of a weapon is more likely more likely, not definitively, but more likely to result in, in some sort of catastrophe than some heroic saving act. doesn't mean that would never happen. It may. Uh, there's always going to be an opportunity, you know, uh, something occurs where somebody with a weapon is able to, mm. you know, resolve an issue. That, well, that could happen. But, but I allude that to when I was a cop and, you know, people say, oh, I had a car accident and good thing I wasn't wearing my seatbelt or otherwise I would have been killed. Mm. Maybe true, maybe not. You know, maybe the, I'm sure there are circumstances where that was true. I'm still going to play the odds. I'm still going to wear my seatbelt. Um, you, you know, uh, you, we go with the odds. And, and uh, the odds are just, you know, that the presence of a weapon by someone who just happens to be able to carry it is not going to stop anything. Uh, we need to do a lot more. But to get to your point, um, I don't know why someone needs assault weapons. And, you know, a friend of mine who has a home up in you know, rural New York State, he feels he needs that. Well, fine. Uh, you know, but, you know, what's wrong with going through a background check with it and applying for it and having a license for that particular weapon? What's wrong with that? Just like I need a license to do a lot of things, <laughs> like drive a car. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure why that, that, that's so offensive uh, to people. Uh, you know, we're allowed to put restrictions and, and conditions on all of our rights, even the right to free speech, as we constantly talk about. So it's just a matter of we have um, ineffective leadership um, afraid to take a stance, and, and we have, unfortunately, like I said, you know, a faction of the people who have a very loud voice, though they may be the minority, but, you know, the way our elections are set up, and, you know, yeah. um, a, a small portion of, of, of the population has an over, over-representation of the decisions that are made. You know what really scares me? I mean, I taught for, for 36 years. I think I started when I was 12 or something, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know something, and I taught the the toughest class in the entire building, and I got it got it together. But I think the scariest thing that happened was one of the one of the teachers in my school. Thank God, was a black belt in karate. Thank God, I was walking past the classroom. This is a true story. I couldn't make it up, and I see this mother coming past into a second grade room, and everybody assumed she was coming to see the teacher. We were, I signaled to the girl, and I said, oh, no, this doesn't look right. This lady came in to hurt another child because she had a fight with her daughter. 
and she started to take her hand and she scratched the kid's face until I walked, I must have been nuts, walked in front of us, pushed her down. My friend grabbed her with her hands because she was a black belt and I grabbed the kid and we ran out. And I had to grab, grab the nurse because she hurt her face. And it was the most horrific experience. And the, the police did come and the, it was the first time this child was expelled from the school, the other one. And the mother came in and said, it's a good thing I did it, because God knows if this woman would have killed her. I mean, these are the things that I can understand teaching, teaching kids how to, teachers how to defend themselves, you know, martial arts or something like that. And after that, I said to the, the black belt, the girl who's black, I said, teach me something. Teach me how to defend myself, or what do I do if this happens again? I mean, the chancellor of the Board of Education came out with something yesterday, he said he knows that he has to put in a safety plan for what happened in Texas. But what about the fact that it's not safe to walk into a school? What do you do then? The kids are in high school. They just think they're there to fight. And then right. well, what's worrying no, me is that there's no safety plan. Right. Right. Uh, well, that brings up a lot of issues. First of all, we, we have to recognize that we're not going to be able to stop every in- violent encounter between yeah. two people. Now, that's just not realistic. And, you know, teachers not defend themselves. They want to go out on their own. Um, that's great. You should do that. I, you know, look at you know, me. I'm, I, I've been in martial arts, you know, most of my life, um, and it's not always effective. I can tell you that. You know, sometimes it is, and sometimes. I know. It um, and you got to be good at it before you use it. You know, I, I, I'm not against people, you know, taking these classes, learn something, but I fear sometimes they, they might overestimate <laughs> their abilities, you know, and, and test themselves. But you know, look, if, if someone told my wife that she had to go learn karate to be a teacher, I could tell you, you know, that'd be a problem. She's not interested. She's a tiny little girl. You know, um, someone bigger than her is going to clobber her anyway. You know, um, same reason I want to carry a weapon. She's no interest in it. Um, she's not really, you know, of that state of mind. And I always say, and I probably said on your show many times, if you give her a weapon, you better give her two because otherwise she'll fall over to that one side. You know, she's, you know, mm-hmm. this hundred pound weakling. So, um, so we can't, but. The issue of, of, of that thing that you just described would be that is school security. Somebody shouldn't be able just to walk in and approach a student. Yeah. That, that shouldn't occur. Um, I remember in my time, I always remember I was going to a school for something with one of my kids, and I saw some kids out in the playground, and I thought I, it was my son's class. I was just looking to see if I could just see him. I just wanted to see him, you know, you know, look at your kid. And the teacher stopped me. He said, sir, what are you doing? And here I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, an FBI agent, you know, uh, just coming to school, but they stopped me, and, and, I, and I appreciated that fact. They didn't let me stand there and look mm-hmm. and not explain what I was doing, and that's the way it should be. Um, and, if, you know, if I was a parent who got insulted, well, too bad. You should know better, and I should have known better. <laughs> you know, I should have known that uh, that's going to raise suspicion, you know, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. All I was doing was trying to just take a look at my kid. Um, so, you know, we have to put in plans, and I, I'm sure I mentioned to you that since retiring, I've worked with a couple of schools and, you know, one public school district in Missouri and pro- more private schools in different places, um, implementing plans that just are logical. You know, they have to do with hardware, you know, locks and alarms and ingress and egress and cameras, but most of it with policy, just how to follow policy and uh, giving teachers the authority to challenge people. And, you know, I don't mean challenge them physically, but say, excuse me, you know, what are you doing and who are you? And um, the ability to get help if they need it. And just something logical that won't allow someone to walk in you know, and harm a student, but we also have to keep in mind that um, you could put an armed guard, you know, in a school, you know, you know, school resource officer, unless they're standing there like, you know, an armed ready position, yeah. 
you know, pointing the gun, they could be taken by surprise. They could be taken from a distance with an automatic, we- you know, semi-automatic weapon, an AR-15 type of assault weapon. Car could just pull up and fire and take, take that person out. Um, you know, it's not hard to do, uh, unfortunately. So, yes, I, I believe in security of the schools, and I, I, school resource officers are, are good to have. And, you know, if they want to put other arms people in there or train, I'm all for that. Uh, you know, let's do it. But let's understand what's practical and what, what works. But um, I think the point we're going to get at here is if someone doesn't have an assault-style weapon, a weapon of mass murder, they're not likely to commit mass murder. You know, that's the bottom line. We, I was lucky in a sense. Well, I was the dean, <laughs> so I had to break up fights. They made me the dean one year, and I'm like 107 pounds of nothing. And, yeah, two boys came upstairs, and they were in a bad mood. They were fighting over a girl or something. And I had to literally, with one knee on one, one and one knee on the other and my hands or whatever, I said, don't get me upset because if you hurt me, you're going to be sorry. And they backed off. <laughs> they right. said, they, right. they looked at me. I said, just how fast do you want me to suspend you? Or what am I going to do when I call your mother and tell her that you hurt my arm because I had to stop you from fighting? I did call the parents and tell them I had to use physical force, and they thanked me. They did, I did not get in trouble as a dean. But, you know, that's not what you want to spend, spend your day as. There was something on the news that I thought was really um, pretty clever. Unfortunately, there was there was an incident on the NIAC. Somebody got killed. There was the incident in Texas, Buffalo, everywhere. And this girl came out with something where the school should have a silent alarm. Those kids in Texas knew what to do. They knew exactly what to do. It was the people outside that didn't do what they're supposed to do. But why? Why? I mean, what would be so wrong if the schools put in? There's no metal detectors in elementary schools. There's silent alarms, and there's a whole bunch of doors that you can get in and out of, unless you have the doors locked. So how, how do you stop that? I mean, what would be so bad if they put in? And a lot of the schools don't have a safety plan. I mean, I was on the safety committee when I worked. Now my school says that they have a consultative team and they have drills, but I don't know if the kids in my school would even know what to do. So how how do you fix that? What do you do? Well, honestly, I'm surprised to hear that a school does not have a safety plan this day and age. Um, Yeah, a lot of them don't. That surprises me. I remember when shortly after I retired and I was doing my consulting work, uh, going out to the school district, as I mentioned, in in, in Missouri, they uh, engaged my company, me and this uh, another retired agent, to do a uh, a security review. And and we found something interesting. Uh, There were a number of schools, elementary, junior high, high school, Mm. smaller school district. And we drove up to the elementary school one day, and, and it was raining, we were a little early, and we saw, we didn't, we didn't know at the time who the person was, but she was out there directing traffic. Uh, she wasn't in uniform or anything, but it was raining and making sure, you know, kids, parents could just stop quickly, get the kids in without getting wet. A lot of attention. And we found out later that was the principal. And we also, as, as to be expected, when you see that, we, it was a principal very attuned to security. Uh, she was, you know, very strict on locking doors, closing doors, following policy. Mm-hmm. And her staff told us that as we interviewed the staff. And they said, yeah, it is. And, and, and the staff felt secure about something happening, even though elementary schools at that time were not really considered a, a likely target, but certainly a possible target. And they felt secured. Well, then we did uh, an interview at the high school. And the staff there said, oh, we, we, we don't feel secure at all. We don't have a good plan. Uh, doors are always propped open, you know, that. Mm-hmm. And then when we interviewed, we interviewed the principal, the principal said, oh, this security is ridiculous. He totally, you know, 
downplayed it, felt it's not effective, it's not necessary. And, and there you have the correlation between his attitude and everybody feeling unsafe um, there. And we left them with a bunch of recommendations. And really about a couple of years later, uh, they kind of made the news for some out that, that somebody uh, came into the school, asked where to go. They said, go, go down the hall this way. They went down the hall the opposite way. And now they had a plan, and they called school security and stopped the person. I don't think it's a potential shooting. But the fact is they now had a plan to identify and respond to suspicious behavior. And, yes, yeah, so if you tell someone go that way, they're going the other way, and you don't really know who they are, you didn't ask why they're there, that's what you need to do. So that a school doesn't have a plan, um, I, I find that shocking. Uh, you know, I know I was doing it uh, for a while, as a lot of you know, other consultants were, but I, I think now they could get help from various government agencies in developing a plan for it for no cost. And, and get it done. Why not? You know, I'm going to leave Uvalde out of this statement here because for a number of reasons, but I can't imagine there's, you know, too many police departments, even small ones, wherein the police officers haven't had active shooter training. Why? Because we have to. It's just the reality of the situation. You know, and, and we always talk about Columbine and the changes we made after Columbine mm-hmm. to realize our protocol wasn't effective. Uh, you know, it, it's almost one of these things we should accept, that you come to school and here are the rules and we expect the kids to follow it. We expect the parents to follow it. Uh, you know, not always just me. Well, we don't know who just you is. So you have these rules. Now, as far as, you know, metal detectors in, in grade school or any school, I know, look, my old high school, you know, and, and New York has it, and I think everyone has it now. Uh, but, again, at what point do we want to make this, you know, prison versus school? Mm. Um, you know, do we want long lines of kids waiting to get into class every day because, you know, they're carrying their pens and pencils, all these things that knock off a monitor, you know, or someone's checking for metal, and, you know, we have to empty their pockets and blah, blah. You know, I'm not saying it's not effective, but we do have to reach a point of what is most effective and efficient that will serve the purpose. It, it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, I listened to the chancellor, and then he showed videos. The kids in high school spend their days fighting and the teachers have no idea how to control what they're doing and it all comes back to when I first started if a child did something really awful you got suspended for three days you were home too bad and your parents were called in and then they had to decide whether you're going to be suspended for three more days now they're saying that they don't want to suspend kids the suspensions are low the de Blasio never mind what he did and the kids are getting away with it because they, uh, the next chancellor that came in did away with in-house suspension to, to uh, out-of-school suspension to in-house suspension, I know, because I had to deal with that, and that's the worst. When you have kids that are in trouble and you are the dean or whatever and you have to sit in a room with these kids that got in trouble, how do you deal with anybody that has an emergency? You don't. So they sort of made it worse, and then... I was I was absent for a week because my husband got sick. When I came back, they, they, there was a group that formed a posse that I had to straight, straighten out because they figured the prince, the new principal, the last one, thank God she retired after whatever, um, she didn't care. She didn't care about safety, nothing. So when, and this is true, when two parents came in to talk to her, she was hiding in her office with the door lock because she was afraid. And she called me you know, on my cell phone. Um, and, uh, it's scary. And I had to come down. I had to, I, just, I had to calm down the parents. I know the laugh or cry was hilarious. You, you know, uh, earlier this week I was on Dan Abrams' News Nation show 
talking about mm-hmm. um, threats, because this is one that was a threat of the mass violence in Missouri, and uh, authorities went out and actually was able to arrest the guy on making terrorist threats before anything happened. So, you know, the mm-hmm. question to me was, you know, how should we respond to, to these threats? Mm-hmm. And my answer then is similar to the answer I'm going to give now. Um, it's a different world. So when I was when I was in going through school, mm-hmm. there were fights. Look, I grew up in New York City. You know that. And, uh, you know, Bayside yeah. High School, me, my, even my junior high, we got into fights. It was just how boys were. Even some girls were fighting. You know, it wasn't common, but it wasn't, you know, unheard of. But back then, you have a fight. Somebody wins. Someone says, uncle. And, and, and you know what? Nine times out of ten, it was over. And then usually by the next day, you're shaking hands. You know, we weren't worried that someone's going to come back with a gun or a knife. And, and mm. kill people because of, because of a stupid fight over a basketball game. You know, I started from nothing. Um, but that's obviously not the case now. Um, so it's just we live in a different world. Um, and when my young son was growing up, and I can't remember if he was junior high or high school, but um, one of his friends was over the house, and they were telling me a story that this friend um, was now uh, suspended for three days because he got into a fight. And what my son told me is, yeah, because this other kid – started making racial slurs at his friend mm. and eventually led to fisticuffs. And my son's friend said to me, you know, look, you know, Mr. Tabman, the problem is I was just defending myself. I get suspended, but the suspension means a lot more to me than this other kid, you know, in, in a negative way, you know, because this was a kid who had plans. Mm-hmm. And going back to your question, it's a new day and age. You know, these kids who were creating this violence, do they care if they're suspended? Do they care if they no. call the parents? Probably not. Probably not. So it really is not a deterrent uh, to that behavior. So, you know, what is a deterrent? Is getting arrested a deterrent? Maybe. Maybe that's what we have to do if we can get police. I mean, you're not going to get New York City police to come and start arresting kids over the scuffle. You know that's not happening. So, um, no. yeah. you know, what is the answer? And this is something the school, I, I wish I had the answer for you here, but this is where school officials need to get with security officials and come up with a plan. We need to keep everyone safe. Uh, you know, gun violence is not the only violence that occurs. And what are we going to do? And what is, what is a deterrent for these type of kids? You know, suspension I don't think is. Uh, so they need a plan. We were lucky because before this principal came, she really took, took the school that was my, – my, my principal retired, and she called the superintendent and told them to give me the school as assistant principal. She said that I would be the right one because I had the respect of the kids, the parents. I never had a problem with the students. As little as I am, they knew, don't mess with, don't mess with me, you better off because there was rewards. But we had a peer mediation program that worked. And then when she came in, she just threw everything out the window, and the discipline went all the way down the drain. And as the dean, I worked my tail off, you know, just to keep everybody safe and nobody getting hurt, and nobody did as little as I am, and the, the toughest kids in the school, she would say to me, well, you know, don't make them stay in class. Let them stay with you all day. I go, well, where are they going to learn? So the, I had some really, I mean, they were dangerous kids, and they would walk around with me all day, and, you know, we're going to protect Mrs. Lewis. Don't worry about it. I go, I wasn't worried. I wasn't afraid of them at all, but everybody else was. They were scared to death that if these kids came into their classroom, they were petrified. That's how that's how dangerous these fifth graders were. And I looked. I said, you know something? If it's, if that's how you feel when you're here, then you don't need. We need. How how? Why are we here? I mean, and I didn't. They didn't pick on me. Then I had the respect. But how do you deal with that? Because that that's wrong. That that's so horrible. Yes, yeah, wrong. And I know that. I, it, 
they, they, they don't yeah, think that education like that. is important. They don't care. Learning is nothing. I mean, and I even see it with my niece who's in college, and I've been helping her write her papers. She said that they don't teach anything. They just give you the assignment, and that's it. She said they don't even teach anything. She said she's switching schools because she's not learning anything, and she's going for medicine. I mean, I don't know nice. if it's because of this pandemic or just people just don't care anymore. It scares. Yeah, and, and you're touching upon, you know, sociological issues well beyond, you know, the scope of law enforcement yeah. and security. You know, how do we, you know, get kids engaged? I, I think on your show in the past, I've told the story. When I was working narcotics in New York, I, you know, I volunteered mm-hmm. to do this uh, program where you go into classes, you know, fifth grade classes, and make a presentation. Just try to connect with the kids. And I went to this one class, and I, I gave a presentation. They were, they were pretty nice kids. It was in Brooklyn. Um, but I was giving out these, uh, you know, junior FBI badges, right, and you're showing that it looked like my badge. And all the kids, I was a little surprised because I thought at fifth grade they, they wouldn't be that interested in that. My wife said, no, no, that's young enough. They'll, they'll be excited by it. So I, I did, and they were surprised. And I'm, I'm glad they were. I'm glad I did it. Uh, one kid showed no interest in it whatsoever, no interest. Mm. I mean, he wasn't mean. He didn't say anything. I, I could just see his eyes. Were I'm trying to show him. He's like, didn't care. And wouldn't you know, when I came back the next year and I asked about that kid, he, he is no longer in school. He, he had... He had really hurt him. I don't remember he shot or stabbed somebody. Uh, it was many, you know, long, long time ago. But he was out for some violent behavior. And, and that, to me, you know, I, I kind of knew that from the moment. You know, I was talking to him that something wasn't right, his lack of interest, mm-hmm. and, you know, this whole thing. But what are you going to do with it? Is, is that enough to, to put a, you know, uh, force a kid into some, you know, m- mental health facility? No, it's not. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer to that is. I knew it. Um, I'm sure the teacher knew it. We, we didn't discuss it. It was just something I thought in my head. Um, you know, but there it was. And, you know, early intervention, early intervention on these problems, I think, is the key. But teachers have to get trained in that. I mean, you can only, mm-hmm. look, cops aren't trained in, you know, mental health intervention, though we keep talking about more and more for, you know, to, to avoid these uh, confrontations that seem to escalate. Um, but, you know, teachers maybe need to be trained, and I'm not faulting them for not having the training, uh, into recognizing this. And then there has to be school personnel to respond. So if it, the teacher says, hey, this uh, little Joey, I think uh, something's wrong. That's great, you know, to say it, but unless someone's there the next day to be able to do something, what, what good is it? No, I agree. I had a second grader that was brand new in the school. First day. Comes up to my office. This kid must have weighed about 500 pounds. A little, sec- little second grader, big. And he looks at me and he says, I'm probably going to kill myself because I'm having a bad day. I said, have a seat, and I immediately called the guidance counselor. We immediately called his mother, and unfortunately, he spent a month in four winds because mm. I, I had to do something. When he came back, um, they put him in a second-grade class, and he was really highly volatile, but for some reason, if I gave him an ice cream pop, he was happy. And he stayed in class until he couldn't stand it anymore, and I made sure I had candy and stuff with him, and he walked around with me. By the end of the year, though, he sort of calmed down. When he came back a couple of, you know, like the year after whatever, the mother said, because I was able to deal with him and talk to him, they put him in Lincoln Watts, and he seemed to to have done okay. I mean, but it's it's hard. You know, you have to be able to read it. I mean, I had I have students on Facebook. One is an activist, a black activist, and Michael will tell you if it wasn't for Mrs. Lewis. And my friend who died, Mr. Pettit, he says, I probably would have been in jail because they straightened me out. I mean, you have to be able 
to take a chance and care. And I don't right, think that's that know, situation um, anymore. No, but you look at this kid, all right, you know, a big overweight kid at, at, at that age, you know, he's probably having social issues, getting teased or yeah. bullied or something like that. But what if you had more than one like that? I mean, do you have the it's resources scary. to give everybody that personal attention? We just don't yeah. have it. So uh, fortunately, you were in that situation. That's wonderful when a teacher could, you know, take that one child who needs it. But when there's more than one, and, you know, look, I, I imagine it's hard to hire teachers now in, in, in this economy. Yeah, they want to leave. are having trouble hiring police or, yeah police officers for reasons that is a conversation for another day, you know, unrelated to this. Um, you know, what you can only do with what you, the resources you have, and of course there's limited resources, and, and we can't force parents to parent a different way. So again, it's this big, you know, psychosocial issue, uh, sociological issue that I don't know who has the answers. Greater minds than mine must have the answers to how to address this. All I could say is that I thought about this logically, seriously, and I'm saying that they need to have less people, less access into the building. I mean, it should just be oh, staff absolutely. and children. It should not be parents. And then if a parent um, wants to take a child home, then they need to have somebody bring the child down to the to the lobby where the guard is. They should not be walking around in the building. I mean, because that that causes problems. They have to make sure that the doors are closed, that when they have morning entrance that the kids, you know, I worry because the kids are outside. And you don't know, in the neighborhood where I worked, it was not exactly safe. I mean, and there was an incident where the police were out. I was on charge of the lunchroom. The kids were outside playing, and I happened to walk out because I was in both in and out, and I say, oh, my God, they have a drug bust out there, and the police have guns, and so does everybody else. And fortunately, the kid looked at me. I said, just get inside and don't say a word. Just get in there. Everybody was fine. They, I don't know if I told them what happened. I told my boss. I said, they need to be inside. It was rare that it happened, but it was in a, in a tough area. I mean, you have to be, you know, your eyes have to be all over. And you can't be afraid. Well, I'm surprised, yeah, that, this, that what you, the scenario you just described, I'd be, again, surprised if a school district, uh, that would happen. Um, years ago, when my kids Me were too. young in grade school, so we're talking, well, you know, 20-some-odd years ago, uh, we were, you know, uh, I raised my kids in a little city in Overland Park, Kansas. Um, not exactly a high-crime area. Now, we've had incidents, mm. but not crime where you worry on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, you move there from New York City, you think you're in heaven. Um, but when my wife taught, uh, she, she was, you know, again, she taught uh, – young kids in special ed, but if I went in there to see her or sometimes mm-hmm. she asked me to come visit the class, they were having, you know, a luncheon or something, uh, everyone knew who I was. I was the head of the FBI office there. It's not, I, I didn't get any special privileges. I still had to go in through the one door that they had to buzz me in, then I had to walk into the office, I had to tell them who I was mm-hmm. and where I was going, and they called my wife, made sure I was okay, and then I was allowed in, even though they, they knew who I was. And, and I didn't find that insulting. I was glad they did it. And, you know, look, I knew my wife... Um, in case of a mass shooting, I didn't want her doing anything other than taking her kid because her kid would not be able to run for themselves, you know. Um, I said, just get that kid because I know she wouldn't leave the kid behind. That's just how you teachers are, and thank God you are that way. Uh, but get your kid and get out. That, that's all I can tell you. Just get your kid and get out if you can. Um, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want her trying to figure out a way to jump a, a, um, you know, a shooter. Not, not that I wouldn't want her to save everybody if she could, but she can't. She can't. And, and we've had situations where SWAT team cops have gone in and, and gotten killed by the shooter. 
as, tra- as well-trained as they are. These are really dangerous situations uh, without mm-hmm. an exact science for having to resolve it. We're very well-trained, and I would have my confidence in just about any um, SWAT team going in these days. And, I, again, leaving Uvalde out. And the reason I'm leaving Uvalde out is certainly on, on a, you know, the prima facie evidence, on his face, clearly, you know, the facts speak for themselves. Something went wrong. But um, the messaging was completely inappropriate. Um, the way the state, for the mm-hmm. first press conference with the governor, that was mm. a fiasco. That was, that was a disaster. The governor shouldn't have been giving that particular press conference. Not that he doesn't have a right to speak, and he should speak to the, you know, his, his state in, the, in a leader healing capacity, but not as the, um, you know, like, so almost like the law enforcement official who ran it. That was terrible. Then they came out with a second you know, uh, press conference to try to make up for the first. That made it even worse. And mm-hmm. then the third one came out where you know, a particular official uh, basically you know, placed blame on the Uvalde school police chief, which may or may not be you know, correct. But um, after having said so many misstatements already and having so much misinformation, go out there and blame somebody you know, mm-hmm. so blatantly you know, was wrong. Um, so now he, you know, he's never going to survive this, the chief, uh, you know, in the court of public opinion. He's guilty, and, and maybe he is. Maybe he did screw it up. You know, it certainly would look that way, but we needed to investigate the matter first, let him speak for, you know, his position, and then make a decision. So, you know, the reason, that's why I'm, I don't want to make any judgments on Uvalde or anything, because I just think it was the, there's obviously a problem with the response, but I'd like to know what it was before we start going out and criticizing everybody and, and, and making a conclusion before we know the facts, which is what mm-hmm. they did there. Um, but generally speaking, you know, um, if I'm being held hostage just in about any uh, jurisdiction, I know the SWAT team's on the way, uh, you know, I'm going to feel confident because I know the training that's been going on for many years because we just had to do it. You know, what's really scary is that sometimes you can't evacuate because the person's in the building. So, they, you know, the alarms went off. Everybody knew what to do. Not since this new one was there, but everybody knew what to do. You know, you hide under the desk or... In this particular case, it was a good thing I had a big clothing closet because I had the kids hiding in the closet because they said that there was somebody coming to the doors trying to break the windows or whatever. So we were told to put chairs by the window and actually had stacked them up so that they couldn't actually figure out where we were. It, it, it's frightening well, because uh, it's really frightening. No, it, it is. No, I mean, mean, we had a plan. Now, I can tell you now, I mean, um, when I did our assessments for the school and for private schools, uh, mm-hmm. most of them were religious schools that had me come. Uh, you know, we talk about you have to have um, the windows. Uh, you don't want them to be able to uh, see in, all right? Um, you want the uh, shooter not to have access to the room, obviously. Yeah. Not the devices. And that was one of the issues that has been brought up with Uvalde. I don't know the facts, was that, they couldn't bre- that the cops couldn't breach the door. And, and you're right. You have to do more things. You have to be evacuating um, and anyone you can. The safest thing is just to get out of the situation, get the kids out, get, the, get everyone out, and leave it just, you know, you, you and the law, uh, law enforcement and the shooter. Now, if there are kids in there, let me, in 19, early 1980, maybe 1982, I think, I don't know, I, I, I became the first hostage negotiator on the police department, um, Fairfax County, Virginia. Mm. Uh, and this was a time when SWAT teams were really becoming the norm, and, and now this, uh, they had one, but they decided to go full-time in the hostage negotiator. It was just, again, the evolution, the evolution of police work. And surprisingly, we had a school shooting, and it, was, it wound up being more of a hostage situation 
uh, in that the kid fired shots into the walls and the ceilings. He didn't shoot anybody. And we were able to, to verify that. So we knew we didn't have to go in and make a rescue. Um, but we were patient. It was a 24-hour incident. We were there the whole time just mm. trying to talk to the guy. I, I wasn't the negotiator at that one, but we tried to talk him out. We tried, eventually he gave up. We had gotten people out, you know, as they were coming. And, and I'll tell you, Fran, one person, um, one teacher never was able to go back, never returned. The trauma of that. And this is, again, you know, Fairfax County, That's Virginia, right. not New York City, not a big, you know, place where you expect that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if they ever had one before. Um, you know, but my time there, I doubt it because I'll tell you, in, in retrospect, by the book, we mishandled it. But, but we did it right. You know what I'm saying? If, if you look at the, what they tell you to do, a lot of things we did wrong, but in the meantime, it worked out. And, and I was at a uh, hostage negotiation training seminar at the time. I was still a police officer and it was given mm-hmm. by the FBI. And the FBI was training on, on this incident. I'm like, really? You're training on this incident? You guys weren't even there. <laughs> you know, we, we handled it in the police department. But anyway, um, the principal came, and I asked him. I said, look, this is a year later. Um, in retrospect, was there any time that you wish we'd gone in and just ended the situation, you know, meaning you know, going to kill the kid? He said, no, and I'm so grateful you guys didn't do that. That would have only made things more traumatic than were, and we are so grateful that you let it play out and get everyone out safely. Um, and I'll never forget that because you know, haven't been there and been part of it to hear that, you know, it was kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of gave me the chills in a good way. Um, so you don't know, the, the situation is different. We have to evolve. We have to learn. And mm-hmm. you're right. You have to evacuate. There's a lot of things. But let me just go back to one of the things you said. Um, if you have sort of like a panic room type of situation where it cannot be breached and you all want to hide in there, that's safe. But if you have a room where breaching is possible, you, know, you put chairs up, you put barricades up, um, you know, uh, the locks are okay unless someone could smash a window and open the locks. As, you know, we saw it happen mm-hmm. in Red Lake High School. We just shot through the windows and opened the doors, went through there. Um, do not all huddle together, all right? And I, I think if, you, if someone's being trained now, uh, they would say spread out. Yeah, uh, under the desk, know, yeah. Right, when someone walks in, and, you know, so he, so he has a decision to make. Like, you know, where am I looking? You know, he's going to look around. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, throw objects. And they, and they would teach you all that in, in training. Uh, but don't all huddle together and make this sort of an a easy target for someone with no decision to make it. You want to slow them down. Throwing things, you know, people in different places, it just gives them, uh, you know, it's like a distraction. And every second that you can buy is, is just a, a little better chance of survival. So uh, just to anyone who's listening in the school thing, um, again, unless it's a panic room situation where you, you know they're not going to breach it, don't huddle together because you, you, you just kind of set yourself up with the slaughter. It, it's, 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 it's scary. You just don't even know sometimes. I mean, the trick is, of course, you have to stay calm. That, that's one thing. I grew up in the South Bronx. Maybe that's why. You're not why. staying calm. You're not staying calm. The, you, can't, you, you can't. You, I think not. the worst You're thing not. that ever happened was one of the teachers who trained me to be tough, and there were two two black teachers in my school, God bless them, that taught me to be like them. Because what they could say, I couldn't exactly say, but they taught me another way to say things. One of the teachers obviously upset this science teacher, and she went and she called in a bomb threat to the school. And we were lucky. Everybody got out. No big deal. Except that she lit a fire in the room. The boom was on fire. They had to call the fire department. They caught the teacher. And it was like, why, you know, 
she she was very confrontational, this lady, to everybody, and it was it was scary. I mean, children have, shouldn't have to say the kids knew they heard us arguing with the teacher, and I just said, you know, just just everybody get out. But what what is the what is the the thing for now? I mean, could this thing in Texas have been avoided? I mean, well, I'm the kids that, knew what I, I, to do. I, I, the, the the poor the poor teacher did not leave that door open. I don't think. No. Yeah, we don't know. That's I, what I'm I saying. There's so much misinformation, and I'm a little surprised by how bad it was, to be honest. Because I, I know one or two of the people involved, and you know, I don't, I don't want to critique anybody, but it, it, in general, you know, it, it, was, it was horribly handled. I'm talking about post-incident. It was the messaging was te- has been terrible. So I, I want to reserve judgment because I don't even know what's true yeah. and correct anymore on those facts. But you know, one sad story I can tell you at Red Lake a High School massacre after, after we. Uh, Analyze. I know for sure what happened because uh, we're mm-hmm. camera. Is one teacher? They, these kids, everyone was well trained. They knew what to do. Um, they went back to their classroom or got out. But one teacher bypassed an exit where she could have gotten out, but went back to her classroom to protect her kids, and she tried to be I a know. shield. And she, with the kids, perished at the hands of the uh, of the gunman. And I tell you, that I was really... children, I think about that kind of commitment. Um, you talk about dying a hero. That teacher did mm-hmm. um, You know, could have saved herself, but then went back to try to save her kids. There are very few people that would have done that. A very few people would have done anything. Before I forget, Wednesday, the author that wrote a book, this book bothers me too, is called Honeysuckle, but he writes about duck hunting. On the 23rd, um, former Intel officer uh, William B. Morrison, the handler. On the 27th, none other than Tess Gerenson. Listen to me. On the 29th, Cindy McDonald, and on the 30th, now that his wife doesn't have COVID anymore, the author of Murder is Not a Girl's Best Friend, and then France taken off the month of July to just do something other than staring at the walls or whatever. But I, I don't know. How do, how do we make people realize before we end? How do they make people realize that? Guns are, I mean, why, why would a 21-year-old need an assault rifle? And why, why, would, and why would anybody that was going to buy 300 ammunitions of, why didn't they do something about it? I mean, that's what's scary. And how, moving forward, how do you get people to realize that we need, some of these people need early intervention, some of them need, you know, firearm storage and flag education. What do you do? I mean, what what no. should the governors do? Because this one up here is just, oh, I'm going to sign a bill for 21-year-olds. Why in heaven blazes would they need one? Well, as, as you know, look, there's a reason that um, insurance for young men under 25 is higher than everything else. Uh, you know, we hear yeah. all these things about how they're, they haven't really learned, you know, fully developed their sense of risk and all those kind of things. It's why we like young soldiers. They, they're more risk takers, you know, the aggressive men. Um, well, you know, is it a step in the right direction, 21? Yes. It'll just keep it out of the hands of uh, a certain more segment of society. So now um, mm. if we have kids under 21 who are looking to get the weapon, at least we make it more difficult, right? At least it's more difficult. So, um, and that's what you want to do, uh, make it more difficult. And in every, t- every opportunity or lack of opportunity they have to get their hands on a weapon is another opportunity for intervention. So while it's a step in the right, right direction, it's a far cry from what we need to do. Um, because these AR-15 style weapons are still using other mass shootings, uh, 
you know, outside school where the shooter is usually a little older in their mm. 20s to 30s as opposed to the kids in the high schools. Um, so, but until we're willing to, you know, recognize that, we're going to have a problem and it'll be easier for them to get the weapons uh, just because they're accessible. Um, but I am not against uh, raising the age for that, mm. um, putting restrictions on it, controlling, uh, you know, the transfer of ownership. But, you know, I was out with a friend of mine uh, who's going hunting. We're just, I'm just out, we're just out shopping. You know, I'm just kind of company him is getting shopping and this is right after the school shoot uh, I'm sorry the mass shooting in San Bernardino and I, I, this is true I'm not making it up the timing he, he was criticizing the FBI for not knowing you know having these people on the radar for having accumulated all that ammunition while we're doing this he's stacking up his ammunition in the store that he's going to buy for mm. his hunting trip and I said are you kidding me look at you now you're not willing to uh you know, to have anything, you know, any controls on you. You want to buy all this stuff and not answer for it. So what, what do you think? You know, so um, it was uh, an interesting thing. People don't see themselves that. You know, you can, we can't distinguish uh, between, mm. you know, those who are going to use this for good and those who are not. So we have to come up with just these very, very general rules and uh, enforce them. And, and let me get to the mental health issue there because, you know, we're running short on mm-hmm. time here. It's hard to look at a school shooting or any kind of mass shooting or any kind of violence and think there's not a mental health issue. Of course there is. But mm-hmm. the way, uh, again, a certain segment of our uh, congressional leaders keep throwing it up, it's a red herring. Because we, I, I have interviewed, you know, on my own show, I've interviewed mental health professionals. I've studied these school shootings and mass shootings. And most of the, almost all the time, not all, but the overwhelming majority of the times, these shooters, if they had been... In the, in the offices of a psychiatrist or some mental health professional the mm-hmm. day before, they probably would not have been, been diagnosed with any, you know, certain mental illness. And we surely, it's, it's one thing being trouble, nothing being diagnosed. Um, certainly not to the extent that there would have been, uh, there would have been reason to confine them against their will. Uh, certainly no grounds unless they made a terrorist a threat, you know, something like that to arrest them. So, and it's unlikely they were going to go for intervention anyway on their own. Mm-hmm if it was available. Uh, so, yeah, mental health, do we want to increase the mental health capabilities? Of course we do. We want people to be able to seek help when they need it, whether it's suicidal or whatever, so mm-hmm. they don't start going down that road. Of course we do. But to claim that that is the issue, not the gun, is ridiculous. So while we're trying to implement all these mental health uh, resolutions or help for this, the fact of the matter is, unless we make it harder to get the weapon, these people and to get the weapons and they're going to conduct these mm-hmm. shootings, Talk about mental health all you want. It's important. Yes, it's not, it's not the answer. It's, it's part of the answer, but it's not the answer because uh, we're just not going to be able to stop most of these people through mental health uh, availability. That's just the reality. The scary part is, before we end, is that it's not just guns in school. It's knives, too. I mean, I, I, I must have been one of the craziest, bravest person. <laughs> I mean, the teachers in my school didn't even hesitate to stop something. I have to give them credit until this last principle came. If we saw something, we did something about it, and nobody nobody would even think not to. There was a little girl that came in one day. She was in my reading group, and she showed me her arms. They were all covered with, with burn marks in purple. I said, what happened? I said, did you fall? She says, no, my father did that. He lit me up. I said, okay, and I called for help. The father came to open school. And he said, if you think I did that, wait till I do the next. I said, there was a police officer right behind him. Never happened again. I mean, I was like, 
my school really wasn't was tough, but it wasn't that bad. And I could not believe that this father actually said, I'm going to do worse. I said, no, you're not, because you're going to get taken away. I mean, you, I was taught that if something happens, you have to do something about it. And if you didn't, don't. It's your responsibility. You can get a, you can get in big trouble for that, including you know child abuse or anything like that. I mean, the school. It, I feel so bad for the teachers for, for today. I mean, I don't know how safe my school is. Everybody looks like they're happy. I don't know what you know with COVID and everything. I wouldn't go into a school. They did ask me to come back to help, and I said I can't walk in because I'm afraid. Not of the kids. I'm afraid to to get sick. And, you know, the sad mm-hmm. part, Mike, is that they invited me to come to their intern party because they said when I retired, they didn't honor me the right way. So they were going to pay huh. a lot of money for me to come to their party two weeks ago. And I said, you know what, it's okay. I really don't know anybody there, and I appreciate the thought. So I want to thank you so much. This is this has been really an eye-opening. And I don't know, where do we go from here? You know, uh, Fran, I, I, I almost resigned to the fact that nothing's going to get better. You know, I think when you and I, I started right. conversations years ago, I was optimistic. This changes. I, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm bereft of optimism. You know, I'm lost. With, I have no optimism anymore. I, I, I'm looking at, you know, these leaders getting up and just saying the stupidest thing. Oh, it's not yeah. going to You know, it's, it's all mental health or, you know, good guy with a gun and, and, and the irrational statements I hear and our unwillingness mm-hmm. these days to just look at the truth and the nihilism is just seems to be the word of the day. So honestly, I, I'm not hopeful. And um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, um, I'm going to do whatever I can. If there's a place for me, yeah, if there's a place for me somewhere to help, I'm, I'm more than one to do it. Um, but we have leaders out there now, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, you and I, we've done our time, so to speak, you know, we tried. Now I came to law enforcement more than 40 years ago, hoping to save the world. I didn't do it. You know, now it's for the next generation to figure it out. Um, I don't know. I'm not hopeful. I, I don't see a resolution here. I just see more violence on the horizon. I see us. I, I think the whole face of the United States is changing. I mean, in a socio-political way, not nothing physical. And I don't like what I'm seeing. Um, you know, the irrationality, the unwillingness to face the truth in so many ways, um, our willingness to compromise our principles as long as we get what we want. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, um, I'm very frustrated, and I, I don't feel good. I feel uh, the world is upside down. I agree with you. You know, they used to have um, police officers that came to talk to the kids in school, and their kids used to be, you know, respect them. Um, they don't have that anymore. They don't have anything. They used to have the Explorer program in the police department where I grew up, where my, my father's store was. And my father's store was in a tough neighborhood, but the police were always out there, the 47th. The 49th, God bless them, helped my mother when she was so sick. Now I don't know how fast they would even come for a 911 phone call because you don't really know if it's real or if it's fake. That's what's scary. Mm-hmm. But I want, mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much, and let's hope everybody... Maybe God will do something and wake these people up. Maybe they'll realize that guns are not the answer, that maybe talking and talking it out and whatever, and don't make excuses for what he did the wrong thing, and don't make excuses for him. But thank you so much, yeah. Mike. Are you writing something new, maybe? 
I'm not, as I told you, I'm still doing my business here. I'm actually, my son is taking over my businesses. I'm trying to uh, I see. eventually get out of them. And then once I do, I, I would like to write it. But I told you, I'm not writing something this time unless it's a blockbuster. Unless I'm getting, unless I really feel it's going to be a, a big hit that people, you know, a lot of people really enjoy, you know. And as you know, as authors, we, we don't make money on, you know, writing these books. It's not for the money, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just for the gratitude of knowing that people are enjoying your work. So one of my first books had, you know, uh, you know a modicum of success for an unknown. I, I want to be able to reach a much wider audience next time and, and you know, generate more thought and conversation than anything I write. Well, oh, you in. write so, it. I'll, 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 I'll promote it. Don't worry. And I'm going to write, my next book is going to be another Bertha book about my growing up in the South Bronx with my sister. And the book was called, the first one was called Bertha Fights Back. It's going to be Bertha Fights Back, back to a book to high school challenges. I think something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, wow. As soon as I could get 10 minutes to write it, yeah. But I want to thank you so much. Exactly, right. Exactly. Exactly. Tell Barbara I hope time. she stays safe. And thank you no, so thank much. You, Anytime you want to talk about something, just let me know. Everybody. I will do. Everybody stay safe. And do something nice for somebody. Do an act of kindness. Everybody stay safe and bye.